Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. If you have a Bible with you, um, please can I ask you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 8, a few verses out of the uh, first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the, the words, the, the text should be up on the screen as we eventually get to reading the passage together. Um, most of you, I think, will remember the, uh, uh, the, the movie An Inconvenient Truth, 2006 documentary um, by Al Gore, the, formerly the next president of the United States, um, who went around the country uh, trying to educate the American people about global warming. Um, I heard a friend of mine speak uh, a few weeks ago on the inconvenient truths of Scripture, sometimes awkward reality that that God's Word demands a response from us. And it got me thinking about the inconvenient truths and how that relates to the finance series that we've been speaking through over the last uh, three weeks. And so what I want to do this morning is, uh, in summary, in landing the finance series, which we've called Faithful, Because what we're speaking about more is the character and the goodness of God more than the finances. What I want to do is actually list or mention three inconvenient truths that I believe God wants us to tackle. I'm not sure why that is happening. Should I just press on? Okay, I'll just press on. Is it my grizzly beard, perhaps? Who knows? (laughs) Three inconvenient truths that I think God is uh, wanting to challenge, uh, ch- challenge us on when it comes to finances. And I'll give, the three, I'll give them to you to start off with, and then we'll get into them after we've read the text. Firstly, I am blessed. Secondly, knowing God changes everything. And then thirdly, loving God means loving others. You probably think those are not necessarily inconvenient truths. Well, just wait a moment and we'll get to those in a, in a short while. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a passage that I'm not going to necessarily uh, stay in the whole morning, but I do want to refer back to it uh, through, throughout the sermon the, the, um, this morning. So let's read it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, reading from verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. We know those churches to be the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. What was happening was there was a famine in Jerusalem. And Paul, on his apostolic journeys, was going to various churches and encouraging them to participate in giving financially towards the church in Jerusalem. Verse 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This is very important, verse 8. I am not commanding you. This is not about rules. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So the first inconvenient truth is the reality that I am blessed. And that's probably the one that maybe shocks most of you. How can that be an inconvenient truth? Well, I want to say, along with the reality that we are blessed, there is also the responsibility that comes with that blessing that we are called not to hold on to or not to keep for ourselves the blessing and the favor and the goodness of God, but to make sure that we are extending and releasing that blessing to others. God doesn't want us to be storehouses of his blessing. God wants us to be rivers where the life of God flows from his throne room through our lives into the lives of others. I'm sure many of you have heard stories or seen it on movies or maybe know personal examples of immigrant families who have traveled, paid an incredible price to travel to this nation. Maybe this is true for some of you sitting here. Parents who've, who've worked multiple jobs to prepare a blessing for their children. And hopefully this part is not part of your story, but, but children or their children's children uh, uh, squander that inheritance because they, they want to live in the blessing without the responsibility. And I think spiritually that is a warning for us because I think we too can squander the blessing and the favor and the goodness of God if we, in, if we embrace that entitled attitude, that attitude of entitlement or, or wanting to hold on to but not release the blessing of God. God speaks from his word from the very beginning of scripture that it was his intent and his intent remains to bless us so that we can bless others. He says to Adam, God says to Adam in in the first chapter of, of the Bible, says this, God blessed him. The favor of God was upon Adam. God blessed him. And then he said to Adam, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, Adam, take the blessing that I'm pouring out upon you and, and allow that blessing to extend into the nations. A few chapters later, God says to Abraham, he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you so that all the peoples on the earth can be blessed through you. And then Jesus does the same thing to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Before Jesus releases the disciples out to go and to advance the kingdom, he says this to them. As you go, as you, as you go as my representatives, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he says this, heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons. And then this, this amazing uh, phrase, freely you have received, freely get. Give. God's intention is to freely impart to us so that we in turn can freely open our hands to others and give the blessing and the good things that God has given us. Some of you are probably sitting there and thinking to yourself, well, that's great, Steve, but I'm not blessed. I'm not living under the blessing of God, so I've got nothing to give. I want to say, friends, we must avoid the temptation to to measure our blessedness or our, uh, by looking around to other people. If you try to compare your, the favor of God on your life with others, can I say very quickly, you will discover people in your circle of friends or here at church who have what you don't have. And that will very quickly allow you or lead you to the place where you will start to believe the lie that God has forgotten you. We don't measure God's blessing by comparing ourselves to others. We measure God's blessing by looking back towards the cross on which Jesus died and remembering who we were before we knew Jesus and who we are now, now that we know Jesus. And can I say that if you are sitting here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as as your Lord and Savior, you are blessed. 
You are living under favorable skies. You are living under the, the goodness and the, and the graciousness and the mercy and the favor of God. And by definition, you are blessed. And if we don't embrace that attitude, we won't be able to be generous with anything that God entrusts to us. David and Abraham were two men in the Old Testament who I think carried something of this revelation, that they lived under the blessing and the favor of God. First Chronicles chapter 29 uh, details the account of David preparing to, to, uh, to help his son build the temple. And interestingly, it was the temple that David all along wanted to build himself. But God, for some reason, chose his son Solomon. David didn't say, right, that's not fair. Uh, I'm going to take my toys and go home because God hasn't chosen me. No, David realized that he had an opportunity to, to, to play a part in the building of, of this temple. And so David writes and uh, says and says, Second Chronicles 29, he says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And then listen to these words, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Basically, God, you've given us everything. All we're doing is giving back to you what you've already entrusted to us. And, and Abraham had the similar attitude. We, we, we're not going to turn there, but in time, read, read Genesis 14 and 15, this incredible account of, of, uh, of, of Abraham going after one of the kings who had captured his nephew Lot. And in doing so, Abraham plunders that nation, destroys the king, plunders the nation, and rescues his nephew. And very soon after that, the king of Sodom comes along to Abraham. Sodom represents self-sufficiency. Sodom represents pride. Sodom represents self-centeredness. This king of Sodom comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, listen, I want you to keep all of the riches. Keep it all for yourself. Just give me the people. But you see, Abraham was aware that the reason why he was victorious, the reason why he was living under the blessing and the, and, 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 and the goodness of God was because God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, had blessed him. And if you read Genesis 14, it speaks about Abraham in response to this revelation of being blessed by God, gives God a tenth of everything that he has. And then those amazing few verses in Genesis 15 where, where it says, in response to that, listen to this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I love that. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abraham, don't put your faith in your finances. Don't put your faith in how much you have. I am your reward. I am gonna be the one to protect you. And I think both, in both examples, what was behind the, the, the heart of these men to live in such a way was the conviction and the reality that God is creator, that God is Lord, that he is our great provider. And that enabled these guys to, to, to live as channels or riverbanks of God's blessing, not storehouses. When we try to hold on to, and it's not just money that I'm talking about, but anything that God gives us, if we try to hold on to and clench our fists around what God gives us, let me tell you, the blessing begins to dry up. But when we open our hands, when we release what God's given us, when we give away freely what we've received, the river of God begins to flow. Take some time to read Ezekiel 47. Describes this incredible river flowing from the throne room of God, flowing into the nations of the world, and wherever the river of God flows, there is blessing. Friends, that's how God wants us to be. 
Every day that we go to work, every day that we interact with people in our families, God wants us to be a blessing, to be, a river, to, to be river banks through which his blessing will flow into the city. That's God's intention for, for you and for me. And so in this, let's turn to this text in, in, second, in second Corinthians chapter 8 and just kind of pull out a few little thoughts around what I've just shared. Before, before writing about the opportunity that this church in Corinth has to, to give, Paul firstly wants to remind them of what God has given to them. Look at verse 1. He says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given. Any biblical teaching on finances must be in the context of the grace of God. Any biblical teaching on finances must be in the context of the grace of God. Grace comes to to set us free. Grace comes to liberate us. Grace comes to rescue us from striving, from guilt, and from shame, and from religion. And grace also comes, friends, to free us or to rescue us from the tendency that every single one of us have to to want to hold on to our money and our possessions and our time. And to think about ourselves instead of thinking about others. And grace comes to to set us free from that. And and that's what Paul is writing about here. Despite this church in Macedonia being not, not having very much, they still understood that they were blessed by the grace of God. And so in verse 2 it says, Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Grace reminded them about ownership. That every, every hour that they had been blessed with, every penny that they had received, or whatever currency they used, the denar, denarius, I think that's what it is, every denarius that they had received, or denarii, I don't know. Is it a denarius or denarii? Who knows? Every, every bit of money that they had received, they understood that they were stewards of God's blessing. For I testify, verse 3, Paul writes, that they gave as much as they were able And even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they pleaded, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing that word partnership coming up again. We're going to look at that word in a few moments. The privilege of sharing or partnering in the service to the saints. Friends, you are blessed. You are blessed. I am blessed. You are blessed. We've been blessed. We've been set free by the grace of God in order to be a blessing to others. The second inconvenient truth that I want to tackle is, is this one. Knowing God changes everything. Knowing God changes everything. The landscape is, is reordered when we come to know God. We, I mentioned Genesis 14 and 15, that example where, where Abraham receives this incredible revelation of God. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the one who promises to be his shield and his very great reward. Friends, there's no way that Abraham receives that revelation and continues to live life as normal. There's no way Abraham receives that, that insight to who God is and, and then decides to hold on to everything and not give God all that he has, has blessed him with. Knowing God changes everything. And the same is true for David. There's no way that David has the, the insight and the revelation of who God is. Nancy spoke about it as, you know, a few moments ago. There's no way that David sees God for who he is and continues to live life as normal. I want to read a few verses from First Chronicles 29, this, this little kind of uh, poem 
this declaration of praise that David writes. Listen to these words. He says, this is David, praise be to you, O Lord, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious name. Friends, there's no way that David has that kind of revelation. And, then, and, and, and his only response could be to say, Who are we that we've been blessed so that we can be such a blessing to others? Friends, knowing God changes everything. And this is where this becomes an inconvenient truth. Friends, I want to say that we lack integrity if we say that we know God and Jesus is Lord, yet we hold back things from Him, whether it be our time or our money or our possessions or our gifting. We lack integrity if we say we know God, but yet we are saying, God, there are some areas in my life that I'm not giving over to you. David later prays to the Lord. He says, I know my God. Listen to this. I know my God that you test the heart and you are pleased with integrity. God loves integrity of heart. Integrity means consistency. Integrity means transparency. Integrity actually means wholeness. God loves wholehearted devotion. God loves total surrender. That's what God desires from us, total surrender in response to the revelation that he is Lord and King over all. And this this wholeheartedness is what describes this Macedonian church. Look look with me at verse 5, the first part of verse 5. Paul writes, he says, this Macedonian church uh, uh, um, did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves How? First to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They were living sacrifices. Friends, can I I just say, living sacrifices is an exhilarating but a dangerous way to live. And I say that with all honesty. It is dangerous to be a living sacrifice because God will literally transform your life. It'll be exhilarating and nerve-wracking all at the same time. You won't be controlled by fear. You won't be defined by anxiety. God, not your bank account, will suddenly become your source and your supply. It's a dangerous thing to do, but it's an exhilarating thing to do. Until we've given ourselves wholeheartedly to God, friends, every single dollar or every single hour that potentially could be given for the advancing of God's kingdom will be a difficult dollar or hour to give. Until we've given ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Knowing God changes everything. It means that we can't hold anything back from Him. And so the third inconvenient truth that I want to tackle this morning is this last one. Loving God means loving others. Loving God means loving others. Look at verse 5 again. They didn't just give themselves to God. Look, listen, to what, listen to what Paul says. He says, They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, but then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, this church in Macedonia, having, having given themselves first to God, were then able to give themselves 
to partnership with others. Or can I put it like this? Having given, them, having, having given themselves wholeheartedly to God, they were able to give themselves wholeheartedly to partnering. And here is the inconvenient truth. Friends, we, we don't grow in God in isolation from one another. We can't grow and mature and become Christ-like if we are part of the church of one. God wants us to, to grow in Him. God wants us to serve Him. God wants us to worship Him. God wants us to give financially to Him through the community of believers that He's knitted us into. You see, God doesn't want our giving to be some concept or some idea. He wants our giving to be very tangible and to be very practical, to be given into a place where there is, where there is partnership. The way I define partnership is this, and we've spoken about this a few times. It's where you enjoy family and where you are partnering, where you are working in the function of advancing God's kingdom. Where you enjoy community and family and where you are part of the function of advancing God's kingdom. It's not just about feeling warm and fuzzy and being good friends. And it's not just about hard work and doing kind of all the, all the kind of blood, sweat, and tears to advance God's kingdom. But it's a coming together of community and family that work together to advance the kingdom of God. Two very quick examples of, of that. We know the example in Acts chapter 2. The outpouring of the grace of God so radically and so powerfully at Pentecost. The grace of God kind of poured out in all its power for the very first time. And, and we love to read about how there was powerful preaching that day and there were signs and wonders and, and great miracles were performed and, and tongues of fire came upon the people of God. But you know, friends, that community was entirely transformed because of those things and also because the community was set free by grace, to be generous to one another. Acts chapter 2 says this, they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The second example is out of Acts chapter 4. Now Barnabas, we, we know Barnabas uh, quite well, the companion to Paul. And, and our first introduction to Barnabas is often overlooked a little bit. Because right after, with the first time we see Barnabas, it's the time when Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead by the Holy Spirit. But listen to how Barnabas is introduced to us. It says here, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, they gave him the nickname Barnabas, sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he placed it at the apostles' feet. I love that. What, what, what Barnabas was saying was, you know what, I, I'm blessed. He, 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 he wasn't doing this out of obligation. He wasn't doing this out of a need. He was just, Lord, you've blessed me. You've blessed me. So I, I, I'm going to be a blessing. Without any strings attached, he just says, here, leaders, I want to lay this at your feet. You do with it in order to advance the kingdom of God. How do we grow in this? How do we grow in becoming generous? I wish I could give you rules. I think, to be honest, I wish there were rules. I think it would make it so much easier if I could stand up here and say, all right, this is what the Bible teaches. Here's the exact amount. This is exactly how often, and this is exactly where you should give. But you see, Paul is not emphasizing that. Paul is saying, no, there's no rules. This is what you need to do. Give yourself to God. And then give yourself 
to partnership. Those, friends, are the riverbanks through which or along which the blessing and the life and the goodness and the favor of God begins to flow. It would be so much easier if there was this kind of box or this little kiosk somewhere scattered around the city, maybe at 15 or 20 locations, which said, for God. And you were able to kind of take your money and go into this kind of closet that no one could see, and you could do your God thing for a moment, and you've said, I've, I've given. But that's not how God operates. Give your heart to God, first off, and then give your heart to one another. That's the pattern. Giving ourselves is actually so much harder than giving our money. And that's why grace is needed. But let me tell you this. When grace comes, there are no limits to our giving. It's not how much do I have to give, but it's how much do I get to give. How much time do I get to use to advance the kingdom of God together with others? And so quickly to bring this passage into land, just to kind of talk through very quickly the last three verses. Paul wanted the church in Corinth to be well-rounded and mature. And in verse 7 he says this, But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. We must, we must avoid the temptation to measure our maturity in Christ selectively. That's what Paul is saying. It's very easy for us to say, well, I'm, I'm really strong in these areas and to think, therefore, we are, we are mature in Christ. No, what Jesus wants is for us to mature in every area, for even our strength, our weaknesses to eventually become strengths in him. That's God's intent. And Paul continues in verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. What, what Paul is saying is he wants their worship of God to be expressed very practically. That's why Paul, when, when uh, I think it's in the book of Romans, Paul says that the, the whole law can be summarized in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I be real for a moment? It's very easy for us to say, I love God. Very easy for us to worship God and to love him. It's a whole nother story to say, I love my neighbor. Whole nother story. And what Paul is saying, he's like, he's like, don't just say that you worship God and you love God. Show that, express that love to one another. Giving is one of the ways that we can express our worship and love for the Lord. But the ultimate motivation for giving is found in verse 9. We don't give in order to repay God because we will never be able to do that. We give as an example of how Jesus gave himself completely. He gave his, his life for us. Look at verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I've got three or four minutes left. And what I want to do, just as I land not only the sermon, but I land the last four weeks. I want to just in the next three minutes ask and answer three very simple questions. And I'm going to invite Dave and Aaron to come up and share an incredible testimony of financial breakthrough. And then we're going to take some time just to pray for some folk. But three very quick questions I want to ask and answer as I try and summarize not only this morning's sermon, but also the last four weeks. Firstly, 
what do we give? What do we give? Well, I hope today has made it clear that we give, us, uh, our, we give our lives first and foremost to the Lord. We give our lives first and foremost to the Lord, and then we give ourselves to partnership with others. That means that we, we use our time to serve others. We use our gifts to build the body up, and we share our finances. We use our finances to advance the kingdom of God. God doesn't want us just to use our gifts, but to hold on to our time and our finances, or just give of our finances, but to hold on to our time and our gifts. No, God wants us to use for his glory, our time, our finances, and the gifts that he's given us in order to bless the body. Can I just say very quickly something about tithing? This is not a sermon about tithing. I did not intend or did not want to speak about tithing. Perhaps we'll speak about it next year. Church in the City believes in tithing. But not as a rule or as an obligation or as a means of avoiding being cursed by God. That's Old Testament, Old Covenant thinking. We believe in tithing as an act of worship and adoration and honor and love to the Lord. The second thing I want to say about tithing, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, everything was better. You agree? Everything was better. There's a lovely phrase in the New Testament, how much more? Have you read that in the the New Testament? If If it was like this in the Old, the writers say, how much more in the New? The same is true for tithing. Tithing is the foundation of the blessing and the generosity that we should be giving. If tithing was 10% in the old, how much more should our generosity be in the new? The second thing I want to say is this. Where do we give? Where do we give? I believe, biblically, you give primarily, not exclusively, but you give primarily to the place where you have primary partnership in advancing with the kingdom. Not exclusive partnership, primary partnership. We enjoy relationships with many organizations and many other churches, as I'm sure you do. The question is, where do you enjoy primary, primary partnership? And that's where I think primarily your finances should go. When I first came to America, I'll never forget this. I went through, I ran the gauntlet of trying to order a sandwich at a deli for the very first time. I come from South Africa where you order a ham and cheese sandwich and the one choice that you are given is white or brown bread. That's the one choice you are given. Outside of that, you are given a ham and cheese sandwich. You guys know that's not the case here in America. I'll never forget. I can see it right now. I'm standing at the deli at 12 o'clock, middle of the day, rush hour, busyness. There's literally a line of 25 angry business executives trying to get this deli sandwich and this poor South African fumbling his way through trying to order a ham and cheese sandwich. I would like a ham and cheese sandwich, please. All right, so what kind of bread would you like? Oh my goodness, brown bread. Well, what kind of brown bread? Do you want whole wheat? Do you want semi-wheat? Do you want crushed wheat? Do you want, I mean, endless options. Then we get to the ham. Is it glazed ham? Is it honey ham? Is it, and the cheeses. I mean, the cheeses are endless. And we haven't even started on the condiments and the vegetables. I mean, it's, you guys know exactly what it's like. I say that to say, to be honest, and I'm probably going to run the risk of offending some, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think, to be honest, the, Christi- the Christian kind of, uh, ch- the, 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 
modern Christianity, I think, has become a little cluttered in the area of financial needs, just like trying to order a sandwich. There are ministries and missionary organizations and parachurch organizations and people who are all doing good things for the Lord, but who are all asking us for their money. And the question is, where do I give? You know, how do I, how do I decide which one to give to? I believe all of those things, now this is an ideal versus a real, I believe all of those things should ideally be, be done through the local church. People sent to the nations should be through the local church. People trained as preachers and, and, and able with, with a seminary qualification should be through the local church. People doing outreaches and impacting the poor should be through the local church. And so could I suggest that while we continue to primarily give our time and money to other organizations, we simply continue to perpetuate the problem that I think is, is, is very key in the church in America. We're not going to solve this overnight. But can I suggest that we start? I'm not saying don't give to other organizations. Give primarily where you have primary relationship. If that's at another church or another organization, give to that. But if your primary relationship and your primary partnership in the kingdom is here, I believe biblically this is primarily where you should be giving. And then lastly, why do we give? We give because the grace of God has set us free. That's why we give. Dave and Aaron, why don't you guys come up and share your incredible testimony of things that God has been doing in your heart. Uh, Chris, you got the microphone? Thanks. Thanks. Yay. <laughs> I'm really nervous. <laughs> um, yeah. We're going to be sticking really close to our notes because we are. Okay. <laughs> There's lots of details we want to share, but actually can't for the sake of time. And we're going to share many, but please don't get too caught up in them and or distracted by us being really frank or um, candid about money. We wanted to be as open as possible so that you can see really what all of God has done. And that's pretty awesome. There's also a lot of complexities that we have not included in our story today. And we really struggled with how to tell it. It touches on issues of social injustice and cycles of poverty. And we wish we could nuance so many more things. Suffice it to say, if you have a passion or an interest in these areas like social justice, racial inequality, or cycles of poverty, there's a lot of people having some really significant and meaningful conversations within this church. And they're stepping into real relationships and opportunities as God opens the doors. And it would be really good for you to get in touch with them. And you can actually stop back at the loop. There's a little box you can check there associated with those interests, and then those people can follow up with you. So if it stirs up questions or it hits on triggers or just stirs a passion afresh, um, please get in touch with those people. Okay, back to our story. So in 2008, we bought a condo in Lawndale. It wasn't where we were originally looking, but we found it through a prayer meeting with a fellow campus pastor from a different ministry who lived in the same building. And it had everything that we were looking for. We had peace when we prayed about it. So we moved, um, we moved ahead. But shortly after we moved in, the situation drastically changed. The people we knew and several of the promising businesses in the neighborhood moved out. Um, the development kind of stalled out in that area. 
But God gave us the grace to live there. We were hosting students, as we'd hoped to do, because um, we were close to the, the L and public transit. We were able to um, start our family, and we had three kids over the next five years. However, at times it was really hard. And here's what I mean by hard. Here's what we mean by hard. There was a lot of vandalism. People were starting fires around our house. They were breaking things that we owned. They were shooting BB guns into our, our home windows and at our car. They threw a rock at Dave's head, and it hit him quite hard. They tried to break into our home, and people were successful in breaking in upstairs and in the two homes on either side of us. Eventually, our car was stolen, but it was also extremely and profoundly formative. We're sharing the details because God sustained us in every turn of that, incredibly faithful. And we're sharing it because we want to tell you that this is not everyone's story in Lawndale. The tenants upstairs loved living in the building, and our friends never really had as many of these issues. It just seemed to be our lot or something we were being walked through. If we had been renting, we would have moved out well before we did. But owning kept us there, even as the property values continued to go down. He not only sustained us in the midst of it, he blessed us. He blessed me with one of my dearest friends who still lives there with her family, and he stirred something new within Dave. I got to the point in dealing with the vandalism and um, the trash that I was constantly picking up and I always seemed to come back that I, I felt like I was going to either do something um, destructive or else be able to put in um, put the energy toward doing something positive to bring resolution to some of these problems. So long story short, I organized a skateboard mentoring program which involved spending fun time skateboarding with street kids and getting them to pick up trash to earn their session. We had uh, some of the art students that we worked with uh, help out with us, and some of you gave money to help um, purchase skateboards and helmets for them. And this led to a friendship with Corey, who's become a family friend, and served as an inspiration for the vision of Carpe Ventus, which is a new venture we're working on, one step at a time, on the side, which um, is organizing action sports mentorship. Had it been easier to move away, we would not have found these friendships and this new vision. When we bought the property, we planned to live there for about five to seven years. And uh, about five years into it, we felt like we needed to change um, where we were living. So even though the value was way less than what we owed, I mean, we're talking $100,000 upside down, uh, we felt like we finally got the green light from God to move out of the neighborhood. We struggled with the idea of losing a lot of money. After much wrestling, we decided to rent it, which felt like a huge risk, um, but hoped to sell it later. We moved into our new place in September of last year, and right and left, we felt like we were witnessing God's miraculous provision. However, we ran into some really big challenges with renting our unit. We had a front row seat into the pain of cyclical poverty, and our tenants' pain had a powerful impact on our family, our kids included, emotionally and practically. We began to wrestle again about selling it, which still guaranteed a huge financial loss. We had been given a huge sum of money to invest in a first home, and after a lot of dead ends, we really felt like Lawndale was the place for us to be. And we really wrestled with what did that mean? Were we good enough stewards? Did we do things right? Did we make a mistake? And every turn, God continued to be faithful to our hearts um, and lead us to the next step. At the time, we became aware of overarching banking rules that really trap us into being landlords indefinitely by requiring a cash sale. The next best option for us was to attempt a short sale. 
So when we prayed about this again, um, this time we felt like that God gave us faith to go for it. Short sale 101, you and the bank lose money, and it actually takes really long time, so it's not short at all. <laughs> months and months. <laughs> the real estate agent that God provided went to take pictures of the property in order to list it for sale. When he was done taking those pictures, he actually called us to say that he and his wife had been looking for an investment property for quite a while and that this was it. So we had a buyer immediately, and the long process then began. It was about six months before we finally heard back from the bank, and when they came back with their counteroffer, it was that they wanted to sign, they wanted the buyer to double, more than double his offer and for us to sign a commitment to pay $600 per month um, for the next 10 years. The legal advice was to offer what we could pay, but we felt we couldn't offer anything. We prayed hard, and we asked several friends to pray, and it was hard to understand, and we had 24 hours to decide. The professionals didn't anticipate this kind of counteroffer from the bank. We felt knocked down because we had seen God's hand of affirmation the whole way through the process. What did this mean, and why didn't it line up? Everything started moving very fast. We wrote a letter explaining our situation, showing them our financials, and straight up asking for mercy. And in the meantime, the buyer increased his offer. One place we felt affirmed and encouraged was through the prophetic word for us, disentangled, which we felt was as much about being free from the fear of financial loss as it was about being free of the burden of the property. It confirmed much of what we observed God already doing in our hearts and minds over the last year. We were praying for God's best for us, that no matter which way it went, we knew he would have us in his hand, that he would provide for us. We waited for the longest five days of our life after we sent that letter. But when the word came back, the bank waived the entire financial demand on us. The buyer increased his offer one more time to meet the bank's requirement, and the sale closed three days ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) the mercy they extended to us and God's faithfulness that we felt like he walked us through every step was astounding that was a lot of money to be forgiven now we could have just shared the financial deliverance but we have been profoundly moved by the deeper things that God has worked in us over the last six years which is why we shared the fuller story than just a house sale This wasn't just a sticky financial transaction that God worked out. It was a deeper work, and it always is. The many difficulties of living there for us turned out to be the training ground for learning to walk with God in peace and trust in the midst of uncertainty and pain and fear and disappointment. The short sale process of the last six months could have been months of anxiety, scrambling, compensating, backup plan making, but instead we found ourselves closer to him than ever. We realized we had become convinced of his presence in all things. We realized how many false narratives those hardships had brought to the surface and how he had freed us from each and every one over the years. That freedom allowed us to enjoy his peace, his companionship, continually hear his voice, and watch his hand in every step of the way. We feel more free than we ever have about money. It doesn't matter to us what's in the bank or not in the bank. We feel truly disentangled. We have seen God's faithfulness and generous provision for us this whole time. 
one of the things I struggled with was feeling like maybe God was saying, this is your bed, now lie in it. Like, well, that really was a sucky decision. So let's see how you make your way out of this one. But he generously provided, including a really substantial anonymous gift that came to us just this last week. In fact, a day before the short sale closed. God has given us a fresh start. We have found ourselves already more free, better equipped to dream about this new vision that came out of a six-year journey with Londiel. I'm going to ask Dave and uh, Aaron, my man will blank for a second. I'm going to ask Dave and Aaron to, to pray for us. But I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to ask some of you guys to be really brave and respond. Sometimes when there is a physical response to a call that God or an invitation that God is giving us, simply just by physically responding, there can be breakthrough that comes. And so in, a, in about 30 seconds or a minute, I'm going to ask those who are trusting for breakthrough in finances. This doesn't mean that you are impoverished or this is not a reflection of you as a person. You're just trusting for breakthrough. It could be a new job. It could be a financial situation like this one. That word disentangled is a, just a, such a key word that I think so many of us are, are, are kind of caught up in, in being entangled by fear or shame or guilt regarding our finances. If you are trusting for breakthrough, I'm going to ask you in a short while to stand up and I'm going to have Dave and Aaron pray over you before we close the meeting this morning. A word that I had as I was praying for this, this uh, weekend was that God wanted to, to, to stir our hearts to life again. There's a beautiful song that Jeremy Riddle sings, and it's, it's something along those lines, to, to awaken our hearts to life. I feel like God wants to awaken faith in our hearts for breakthrough in the area of finances. I know there are too many people in this room, and at times it's been me too, where I have just lost hope and vision for our finances. And I've had to have God awaken my heart with faith to believe that if we trust in him, we will never be put to shame. So can I ask you, if you are trusting for breakthrough, whatever that means to you, can I ask that you quickly stand and I'm going to get Dave and Aaron to to pray over us. Father God, you are our provider. We are truly blessed. We're blessed to live in this country. We're blessed to live in this time. God, we are we're blessed abundantly um, by these things, but we're so much more blessed by the fact that you've given us the chance to be your kids forever, mm. that we have the chance to have eternal life, an eternal relationship with you. Mm. Um, God, thanks for that gift for us. Father, would you um, help us fix our eyes on you and mm. on the significance of that? and not get caught up in, in what we have and what we don't have, because money does come and money does go. Lord, free us from that, um, mm. from the fear that comes with that, because we know that you are the provider. Mm. God, we do ask for your, your abundant provision. Um, would you uh, pour out your gifts to us, Lord, um, in all the different ways that you do that, things that we can go deeper with you, um, no matter what's happening on the financial end of things, but that you do care about those mm-hmm. things, that you do know that we have needs and that you see those needs and that you respond to those needs mm-hmm. and that you're generous and that you give us um, so many gifts. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask that you would disentangle us from the yes, things Lord. holding us back from running in obedience to you. Yes, Lord. God, I ask that for your best for each and every person standing here today and that we trust you to orchestrate 
the myriad of steps it would take to break through. God, we saw you organize and orchestrate such a dance of things in our situation, God. And so we just ask for you to move all the moving pieces and that you see them all at the same time. <laughs> and we trust you, God. I just have the hymn in my head that um, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And God, I pray that by your spirit, though the mind may be like, I should be really anxious about this. By your spirit, it will just grow strangely dim. That because our eyes are fixed on you, we have a revelation of who you really are and your heart really towards us. That all those things would fall away as you work them out. Father, we just break off anxiety over people and we ask for you to release them to run in obedience after you. Whether the money comes or the money goes, that they would flourish and thrive in relationship with you and in your calling over their lives. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.